Well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and back in the studio with us, we've got Josh Sherrill again. Brought him back. And when I mean back in the studio, we just finished up recording an episode. Yeah. Back all the way from the living room. Yeah, so right. back from the living room, Josh Sherrill, yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're the Reformed Informants. We're in. We're going again. We're yeah. like, we're, we, we've got him on, bringing his expertise to a, a challenging subject today. We're going to let him teach us, and we're going to get out of the way, right? Oh, nonsense. Is that the idea? Well, thank you guys That's, for having me. Yeah, Yeah, Josh, we're glad that uh, you're back with us to help us along uh with this episode i think out of all the episodes that we've done and we're we're getting close to a couple dozen now um this this one holds a a lot of weight to it Mm. right yeah um really gonna have to navigate through um what we've studied what we pulled together um what we've researched what we prayed about uh as we tackle uh, the the issue of homosexuality. Now, I think TJ, you actually had a couple people reach out to you. Yeah, this has been, um, you know, we we love getting the request. Um, any any topics, any uh, you know, discussion that you want us to have, maybe to flesh out something. We've done a couple of episodes on this, but far and away, the most common thing that I've I've had people reference is this issue, um, or at least an issue related to it, and so. Um, just based on that need and that demand, we wanted to try to come into this with a, a biblical perspective. We've, we've brought Josh in, who's recently taught on this, and so it's fresh for him. And we've we've spent a lot of time trying to navigate and think through these things. And so it's it's important to talk about, and it's it's certainly we're sensitive to it as yeah. a as a society as a whole. But even the sub Christian society, we're we're talking about this a lot, and this has come up time and time again as people have reached out to me saying hey are you guys ever going to talk about this so that's kind of what led us to do this um this episode today yeah we're, we're not nitpicking right uh, certain right. things that we see in the culture necessarily um but we want to respond back to people that have honest concerns and questions and, and are really looking for a biblical response yeah you know so that's why we're sitting here at this table that's why we've compiled all of our notes and we've done research josh you've done yeah. tons of research and study at least for the sermon that you preached uh, just a, a few weeks ago at church mm-hmm. um anything you'd like to at least throw out there as we kind of intro this <clears throat> yeah i mean it when we approach this issue um uh, obviously, we're being very uh, careful. We want to be very careful. Mm-hmm. We want to be compassionate. We want to exalt Christ. Um, but sexuality is a gift, is a good thing. And so we can have joy talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not embarrassed at all about right. what the Bible says. Um, and we, we want to embrace what it says so that we can use the gift God has given us in the way he prescribes um, so that we can submit his gift to his instructions for it. Um, and it's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. I think that's a good word. And what you've just said, I think, is highlighted by the reality that the church on a broad scale and some who represent the church poorly and some who misrepresent the church altogether, but the church has kind of handled this discussion hasn't done a great job with it, I mm-hmm. think, over mm-hmm. the course of at least in in engaging the culture appropriately. And so there's there's just so many voices. And so what you said that there is joy to be found here, there is a a biblical perspective to be had. And so I think it just heightens the need for us to have this conversation from a biblical perspective to try to have this discussion. So I think yeah. that's a good word yeah. because it's not it's not assumed or understood um universally across the board yeah we don't we don't want to sweep it under the rug right um we don't want to turn and run from it but we want to face this honest issue uh with uh what scripture really speaks of Mm. and when scripture speaks as lawson always says Uh, yeah god speaks right so um so as we work our way into uh this issue of homosexuality uh throughout this episode why, why is this issue in particular? Why is it so polarizing? Or, or why do we have to talk about it? Or why do we need? Yeah. Why, why do we need to have this conversation? 
Um, well, as we've just kind of mentioned, the the fact that the church hasn't really addressed this adequately, I, I don't think. I think there's been some, some issues that have been um, mishandled, but ultimately the culture is demanding it, right? Like when we deal with systematic theology, the theology never changes, the truth never changes, but cultural circumstances do. Mm-hmm. And the culture is demanding that we engage in this issue from a biblical perspective. I mean, you can't interact and function and live and think in today's American society without thinking through this issue. Right. It's it's impossible. That's that's the temperature of our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think, um, as Amalur often says on the briefing, um, the... um, the unbelieving, the progressive agenda that um, um, takes this particular issue as its uh, as its main um, battlefront, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, takes no prisoners. Right. Um, and uh, and I would just add, you know, that uh, a lot of Christians are uh, joining in that. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Christian authors like Sarah Bessie, like uh, Jen Hatmaker. These are influencers, mm-hmm. people who uh, name the name of Christ um, and are. Um, undermining uh, yeah. the Bible, what the right. Bible says about that's, it. That's right. Um, so that that would be a reason why we need to I would talk agree. about it. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I would agree. So in terms of our episode, um, what are some things that we need to throw out there from the beginning uh, as far as limitations that, yeah. you know, we'll come across here in, you know, the 50 or so minutes, you know, mm-hmm. that right. we have dedicated uh, to the rest of this episode? What are some limitations that we've got? Um, well, <clears throat> I think that we've agreed that at, at the bottom of all of this is uh, the authority of the Bible, um, right? Um, what does God say about it? That's where we want to, uh, uh, you know, base our entire conversation yeah. um, is n- not just what does the Bible say, what does it mean, but um, we're, we're building on um, the authority of the Bible, um, you know, the assumption that the Bible is authoritative. Um, and, of course, you guys have treated that issue already in systematic theology. Yeah. Uh, but then stemming from that, uh, when we look at the Bible, uh, I think a foundational issue for this uh, is um, who owns my body? Mm. Um, what does the Bible say about that? Well, um, God owns the body of every person who's he, he's ever created, right? Uh, whether or not you are a Christian, um, God is in charge of my body, um, sustaining it. Um, he created it. He gave it to me. Um, but then if I am a Christian, the Bible teaches that God owns my body twice over because not only did he create me, but then as a sinner, right, I was on the run from my creator, living as a slave to my sin. And then God, by no obligation, stepped into that slave market, bought me back from my sin to be his twice over. Mm-hmm. Um, that being the case, you know, what, what was the price that God paid <laughs> for my body? Right. And it was the body of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, First Corinthians um, Six says that you were bought with a Christ, therefore glorify God with your body, and that's foundational. Right. First Corinthians eleven, Paul is giving instructions for the Lord's Supper and 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 quoting the Lord. Jesus said, "This is my body, which is for you." And of course, we we think about the um, the punishment that his body underwent from men, but that wasn't the worst of it. He underwent the punishment for our sins at the hands of his Father. Mm. Uh, yeah. First Peter two twenty four. You know that. Uh, he bore in his body uh, our sins. Yeah, so yeah, just as you said, in, in this uh, issue of homosexuality, it is a sin, but like you just presented, the the gospel is the solution. The yeah. gospel is the remedy. The, the gospel is what steps in and it changes the heart, changes the mind yeah. uh, on, on this particular issue. Um, My soul was blessed by that, by the way. Just hearing that, just reminding myself of that to know that, you know, we want to, oftentimes when the issue of homosexuality comes up, we all want to run to talk about what's wrong with this and how it's a distortion. And it it is, and we are going to talk about that. But as, as Josh just mentioned, this is the foundational thing comes back to this establishment of God as the creator 
God owns our body. And then the, the beauty of that gospel that gives it mm. so much weight that undergirds. So, so really the place to start as we, as we've looked at this already is to consider what the Bible says about the body and sexuality. You have to go there first. And I'm just, I was just so encouraged to think about that glorious gospel and the truth of it. Um, mm. For me and for all of us who are having this discussion and trying to nail down this issue um, from a biblical perspective. Yeah, man, that, that, my heart was kind of pounding yeah. on that present. Seriously, yeah, yeah that, that was. I, I was encouraged and blessed great... just to hear because the gospel always has that um, that impact on yeah. us. And may it always have that mm-hmm. impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another foundational issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, quickly, we we can't cover everything that we want. Right, right, right. Um, in, in terms of talking homosexuality, we've got limited time, right? So there are some things that we may not cover. Reach out to us. Yeah, and, yeah. and we'll, we'll we'll get there. Right. Um. Uh. But then a, a definition. Have we defined it yet? Have we looked at a definition yeah. yet, or no? Well, well, how would you define it? Yeah. How, yeah. how, how would you define it? Um, so, so homosexuality, yeah. right? Um, we, we, we do need to be specific, right? When the Bible talks about homosexuality, we're talking about um, not just um, acts between, uh, sexual acts between persons of the same sex, um, but the things leading to that, namely the desires, right? Um, homosexual desires, desires to be fulfilled um, in sexual contact between two persons of the same sex. Okay. Man. Anything, anything to add to that? Well, where, where does that word even come from? Is yeah. that, a, is that an established biblical term that they, that we can, there's a Greek equivalent, or yeah, how, and, how would and you I think that? we'll get there. Um, you know, when we look at, uh, for example, First Corinthians, First Corinthians six, six mm-hmm, yeah, you know, um, you know, the Greek word for that is arsenokoitos. Mm-hmm. Uh, arsenokoitos is that? It help me out. <laughs> well, the singular is, uh, oh, that's uh, right. as you mentioned, as uh-huh. the, the toss. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and and what that means is is uh, it's basically a compound word of two, uh, meaning male and to lie, uh, and to lie with. Um, mm. And uh, um, so, yeah, the, the, the biblical um, passages addressing it is not unclear about what homosexuality is, um, even though the English word homosexuality is not actually that old. Um, you know, so you, you, know, you might hear occasionally that... Um, uh, you know that that's a sort of imposition on the text of scripture um, because it wasn't in the KJV. Right. Mm-hmm. No, that's not true. Right. Okay. Not true. That's okay. what. I, yeah. That's okay. what I was asking. So okay. So we've got that definition established. And we've got one foundation we've got established. That, right. right. God owns our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and how is it to be used in terms of sexuality? Yeah. What right. We, yeah. Second foundational issue. Yeah. Where would um, you go next? That every person is created in the image of God. Okay. Um, that's so foundational. Gosh. Yeah. It, it is. You have to have that. And this is and this is the reason why, because so much of the conversation around homosexuality concerns identity. Okay. Um, so that if a Christian were to address this issue uh, with an unbeliever, uh, that unbeliever might say, "Well, by attacking homosexuality, you are attacking me. Mm. You are attacking who I am. This is this is who I am essentially, okay. uh, as though it is inseparable from my person, uh, from my personhood." Uh, and that is not what the Bible teaches. Um, and so we, w- what we want to do is, is go back to the image of God. Um, and, and while the image of God is um, corrupted because of the fall, um, it is still there, right? Um, a, a person um, who is uh, practicing homosexuality is still made in the image of God just as I am. Right, mm-hmm. and that is fundamentally okay. who we are. We so, are the same in that regard. So help me m- make sure that I'm understanding and I'm tracking with you. If you've got two people, let's call them A and B, person A struggles with homosexuality, person B does not, neither one are in Christ. You're saying fundamentally their identity is the same, even though they may struggle with different sin, right? Like they are Correct. both, they're both... Correct. Made in the image of God, they both struggle with sin. Correct. Okay, and that's, that is that's in fact, important. That is, in fact, what distinguishes a person, Adam, from the rest of God's that's right. living creation. That's right, because humanity is the only thing. That, that's what makes the humanity the crown jewel of creation, right. right? The image of God that is placed upon us. Exactly. And so I think that's really good for us to see that the 
act or um, the label of homosexuality is not a defining or uh, characterizing identity, but rather is just something. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's part of right. the struggle. It's right. not part of the identity. Yeah, Christopher Yon in his book um, Holy Sexuality um, uh, addresses this uh, matter well. I think mm-hmm. um, homosexuality does not describe who a person is. More mm-hmm. is actually how a person is. That's wow. good. Um, That's good because who they are is That's an good. image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and that image again being marred, being corrupted by the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that homosexuality is, is how the condition, if you will, uh, being uh, original sin. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm oversimplifying, I, I know, but... No, no, no it's not completely necessary. Yeah. Okay, so we've laid out a framework here that all humanity is made in the image of God. Genesis 1, mm-hmm. when you move one page over, one chapter over, now we're dealing with God giving us the ordinance or the institution of marriage. Okay, then mm-hmm. he defines the parameters for marriage mm-hmm. and also defines the parameters for sexuality or sexual intimacy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what would those parameters be? So, you, I mean, I think we at the, sitting here at this table understand that, but kind of flesh that out a little bit. Um, what are those parameters? What does God establish in the garden in Genesis chapter Yeah, Genesis 2, and I can't think of the New Testament reference offhand. Jesus quotes. Yeah, Matthew right? 19. Is it Matthew yeah. 19? Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2, affirming that chapter, that statement, uh, this ordinance, marriage, but it, it details the bringing together of one man and one woman, and the two become one, is what we're yeah. told. So yeah, we see marriage flesh. instituted, uh, Genesis chapter 2, male, female, come together, one flesh, okay? Yeah. Um, and and Adam, that's coming right off of the heels of humanity being made in the image mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- those are inseparable. And Adam knowing his wife, right? The intimacy that comes from the sexual union of male and female. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, Josh, this is a beautiful intended design and purpose. It's not, we're not embarrassed. Right. We're not ashamed. It's not this, um, this default or this uh, um, hard, hardwired malfunction in the human like this is mm-hmm. part of what God designed us to do, and mm-hmm. it's a beautiful, intimate um, act that Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, within the confines and parameters of marriage, are able to express um, in that sexual act with one another, and it's appropriate to do so in that way. Right. And though Genesis 1 does not actually um, set out to um, tackle the issue of mm-hmm. homosexuality as right. other passages in the Bible right. do, mm-hmm. there's an argument against homosexuality in Genesis 1 because or Genesis 2 excuse me because um, you see the way that God has created um, Adam and Eve complementary to one another right so we see that in Genesis 2 18 and following um, you know where God made um, for the man a, a a helper suitable mm-hmm. for him and that mm-hmm. means corresponding to him and you see that then uh, culminated um, in uh, the marriage that God presides over in Genesis 2:24. Um, the one flesh there is evident by their complementary yeah. uh, design to one another. I, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. right, and I think that's the first place you have to go to have this discussion. You've got to look at what is the intended design and purpose for marriage, sexuality, the body, relations, all of those things. You have to see what does God actually say on the positive side before you attempt to address the aberrations, the sin, the, the negations of that. Right. 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 And how clear are those passages, by the way? Right. You have to do, like you would say, some, you know, hermeneutical gymnastics, gymnastics right, right? Mm-hmm. To, to get around right. what is clearly defined mm-hmm. right. in those o- opening uh, yeah, portions of Genesis. Yeah, we've talked before, right, about the literal grammatical yeah. hermeneutic. Like, there's no reason why we would read that and think anything other than what sure. was just explained. Right. Like right. it's it's direct, it's plain, it's clear, um, it's straightforward, and we can have confidence that that is exactly what God intended when He placed man and woman together in the garden. And by the way, He told them, "Be fruitful and multiply." Right. Like that was that was a part of the divine mandate, right? right. And there's a blessing attached to that, of course, right? right. And it, it's repeated later with Noah, and it's it's part right. of the blessing with Abraham. And like like this is a good right. thing wow. that God has given to His creation, and so. Um, that's the original design. 
Um, but yeah, so what? Yeah, yeah. So, but there's obviously there's more coming to this, yeah, right? As we progress in Genesis, uh, we, we've got the fall of man in Genesis chapter three, um, and now sin mm-hmm. has corrupted all of humanity. Right. Roman, yeah. Romans five. Right. So what are some issues that we see? that follow after the goodness of Genesis 1 and 2 yeah. from Genesis 3 onward. Yeah, yeah. how would you say, Josh, like to, to even make it more specific, what specific deviations, um, mm-hmm. misapplications, misappropriations of human sexuality show up yeah. As Lance mentioned, Quick. post, post, Quick. yeah, right. it post takes it takes really no time after <laughs> sin is in the world right. for sexuality to be impacted by it, um, um, and you see that with Lamech um, having two wives, right? Um, in uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter five, five right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right, right, right. Um, it, it tucked in a genealogy section, know, yeah, right? Right. like it's right. just, yeah. Uh, beyond that, then um, you get to concubinage, um, you know, adultery. Um, those things are all evident. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all the way up through um, the first 17 chapters of Genesis. And then we arrive at chapter 18. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we encounter the issue of homosexuality um, for the first time. Um, and, um, you know, what, what, what I would summarize uh, that is, is the outcry from Sodom, right? So we have the ordinance in Eden, uh, ordinance from Eden, excuse me, and then the outcry from Sodom. Mm. Um, and um, God comes down, God visits Abraham uh, with uh, two angels. Um, he's right. uh, discussing the Abrahamic covenant there with him. Um, and then while there, um, they pay Sodom a visit. Mm. Um, <laughs> the angels mm. go, um, and the Lord says that the outcry from uh, Sodom was very great um, and that their sin was exceedingly grave. Now, it's important to make the point that that, that homosexuality is not the only Ooh, sin the Bible says is exceedingly that's grave. Sure. That's right. Or that cries out to God for judgment. That's right. Um, and it is very um, uh, unbalanced, you know, yeah. to to just harp on that um, one issue. Which is where I think that's the church. Point. I that's think the church has missed this at times. There's mm-hmm. been an overcorrection right. to overemphasize, and that's not right. what we're saying. This is no different than other sin. Um, in in that sense, right, um, right. Genesis, you know, Jonah one. I'm thinking of the the sin of Nineveh had risen up. It was like in God's face. Mm-hmm. Is the idea you get there from that mm-hmm. um, verse? Um, uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. His blood cried out to God from the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, God hates sin. Right. right. You know, um, all sin. All sin, and yeah. His wrath is to be poured out upon all sin. Um, yeah, I mean, he lamented that he had even created in Genesis mm-hmm. six. That mm-hmm. he he says, "I I regret that I've made man in this way," and and that's where the flood comes in. It's not homosexuality that's driving this; it's sin that's right. driving this. Right. Yeah, um, that's good. So Genesis nineteen. How does Genesis nineteen wrap up? So um, the scorched earth approach, uh, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, you know uh, God pays a visit. We have the the story of Lot there, right. um, mm-hmm. where right. the angels are there in his household, um, and the men of the city surround his house, um, and they weary themselves even after being struck, struck blind, blind right? by the angels mm-hmm. trying to um, get those angels who look like men sure. out of the house so that they can have relations with them. Right now. Um, uh, you know, the angels then um, tell Lot, get everybody that you have out of the city. Um, the Lord's going to destroy it. Okay. And he does, and, and fire and brimstone come down, and Abraham, Abraham comes out the next morning and sees smoke rising from the earth um, where Sodom used to be. Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Question for you guys. Um, how do we know that homosexuality was the problem there? It wasn't rape or other things like that. And maybe I'm, you know... Um, I'm setting you guys up to answer, you know, for my own answer, perhaps. <laughs> but those are some of the things that you encounter, um, you know, arguments that you might encounter. Yeah, they just uh, apparently the hospitality just wasn't up to par in right, Sodom and right, Gomorrah, right? Right. Um, but Jude 7 talks about yeah, that. Yeah, you know, that's that's how TJ was at. turning there. Yeah, that's where I'm at now, Jude 7. Just, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in the sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. 
Yeah. Yeah. The new yeah the New Testament's a commentary mm-hmm. on right on that on, uh, on that, that event. event. Yeah. Um, and even times when Jesus it's is not subtle. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. even times when Jesus is making references to how much worse punishment will be for Chorazin or Bethsaida because of their rejection of him, he compares that mm-hmm. to yeah. Sodom mm-hmm. and other yeah. cities at that time that were in, you know. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. They, they're the standard Dangerous. bearer for, yeah. for, for punishment. It'll, it'll be uh, easier for Sodom on the day of judgment right. than for you because you have rejected um, sure. you've yeah. rejected the true Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. yeah. Um, one of the points that Christopher Yawn uh, makes in his book again is that uh, the um, biggest problem is not homosexuality. It is unbelief. Okay. That's right. Um, coming back to the issue of how the church addresses, mm-hmm. you know, the subject. The biggest problem is not homosexuality; it is unbelief. Um, and uh, 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 the gospel needs to be preached yeah, so that sinners right. are saved and put their faith in Christ, not so that they become heterosexual right. sinners. Right. You know. Yeah. It, that's I, a great. That, that's a great point. That's so true that we don't. Yeah. We, we, the goal is not conformity. Right to a certain standard or set, but it is rather repentance and conformity to the image of the Son that comes by way of sanctification. Right, right. Um, Romans chapter eight. Right, like that's it's not conformity to a standard or a set of behaviors, but rather a pursuit of Christ that only comes uh, by means of the gospel regenerating. Um, a broken sinner, regardless of the manifestation of that sin, whether it's homosexuality or some other less obvious, less on the surface sin, the symptom is the same, um, or the heart problem is the same. The symptom might be different. Right. Um, but yeah, that's so true yeah. that that's the issue um, in play there. Yeah. Um, I want to I ask a question to kind of navigate this, because if I'm thinking about this issue... What does the Bible actually say, like if I'm looking for proof text, for lack of a better term, but I'm looking for examples in the Old Testament that says that homosexuality is wrong Mm -hmm. or that this is Mm -hmm. forbidden by God. Like I've seen the judgment that comes out, had to do some work to get there. Um, As you said, it's not subtle, but Mm -hmm. I had to go to Jude. So where can I go to say, hey, the Bible is explicitly forbidding homosexuality or um, calling that a sin. Where, yeah. where would you go? Yeah, so I would go to the holiness laws. Um, and what I mean by that is the book of Ex- uh, Leviticus. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, in God's redemptive plan, he has um, called a people to himself. Is uh, Exodus 19, 5. God is making covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, and he says that you shall be a holy nation, right, and, uh, and a, a kingdom of priests. Mm-hmm. Um, that is God's purpose for the nation of Israel. And you have that same thing, that same theme repeated throughout the book of Leviticus, which is full of all these laws, right, for the people. Uh, Leviticus 19, 2, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so that is what the book of Leviticus is about. And you have the first half of that book concerned with tabernacle, how, right. how a people can approach a holy God. But mm-hmm. then the last half is about the walk of a holy people. Mm. Um, how, how, is, how can a people be holy in this world? And so you get to chapter 18, uh, and we find out that holiness in God's eyes pertains not only to um, your dress, your calendar, your agriculture, your things, things like that, but to your relationships and to your sexuality. Mm. And God is very clear, Leviticus 18.22 he says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an mm-hmm. abomination. Also, you shall not have intercourse with any animal to be defiled with it, nor shall you a woman stand before an animal to mate with it is a perversion. So you see that homosexuality is not alone there. Yes. Right? Um, other mm-hmm. things in that passage are things like um, incest, um, bestiality, uh, bigamy, mm-hmm. you know, bestiality, yeah. which we have mm-hmm. there. Yeah, Yeah, I think, I think it's important to note exactly to kind of pick up where you uh, were going there, Josh, is that any type of perversion, right. any type of deviation from the male-female in marriage, those things are considered an abomination. Which is uh, why we started where we did, yeah. right? To see the biblical ideal, to see mm-hmm. God's mandate, design, intention for his creation, so that, as you mentioned, any type of perversion, uh, absolutely. any type of it, homosexuality is the buzzword or the buzz concept and it's it's certainly present in the text there sure. but it's not the only thing right. it's not that 
we're, like I said, we're not bashing on this one particular sin. It is anything that distorts the uh, intention of one man, one woman mm-hmm. within marriage. Sure, right? incest, bestiality, yes. sexual immorality between a male and female outside, outside. of marriage, right? right? Adultery, right. all all of those things here. Um, we're talking about deviations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what God desires for me is not categorically homosexual or heterosexual. What God desires for me is holy sexuality. That's right. Yeah. That's, right. that's really yeah. good. That's a, that's that's a really good point. Um, now let me ask this question to play devil's advocate, because because we have people who may be listening who don't know the answer to this. Even though I th- I think that we all here would agree, but you just pulled out Leviticus eighteen. That's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure there are lots of other uh, laws in there that we don't hold to. Why do you get to pick that one? Yeah. Do you just get to pick and choose which laws you want me to adhere to because you're playing God and right. you're getting to Marcy in the Old Testament? Right. No, it's a, um, it's a good question. I mean, again, I would go back to the purpose of Leviticus. You know, um, The first 17 chapters there we have, uh, or the first 16 chapters we have, um, uh, approach to a holy God, right? So we've got the tabernacle, we've got the priesthood, um, things that were abrogated when Christ died on the cross. You have the, te- sure. uh, the veil in the temple being torn in two. Mm-hmm. Um, those things are done away with. And the book of Hebrews talks about that. Um, but we can see very clearly in God's concern for the walk of his holy people, the underlying um, principles, the timeless principles that are there. Um, and so while, yes, there are still laws in that holiness code in the second half of the book um, that uh, are no longer applicable, right. we are not, um, you know, uh, the uh, Old Testament Israel. Um, mm. We're not inhabiting the land of Canaan. Um, we don't have a judicial uh, theocracy. Right. Um, right. Right. Um, so, for example, in Leviticus 20, when God is very clear about what the punishment for homosexuality uh, should be, that is in the context of a theocracy. Sure. That is mm-hmm. in the context of Old Testament Israel. And so what we need to get at is the timeless principles motivating God's commands in that scenario. And can we say that God's mind and heart have changed about that issue? Hmm. You can't. Right. When you look at the rest of Scripture, you can't. Right. Right. Yeah. Systematicians, at least through the centuries, have divided up God's law into three categories, Mm -hmm. ceremonial, civil, and moral, right? Um, Clearly, the issue we are talking about is an issue of morality, right? Um, And like Josh had mentioned with the uh, tearing of the veil and whatnot, directly linked and related to ceremonial and civil aspects of the law. Um, right. we, we would clearly <coughs> place this one mm-hmm. if if we were to place it in one, right? Would be an issue of morality, right? Right. Well, and I think um, kind of wrapping this up because I think we we need to get to the New Testament right. as well because this doesn't this isn't an isolated text, right? If this were our only point that we would be able to make, then yeah, we might have a hard time defending just that because there's there's but the the Bible says so much more mm-hmm. and. I think it's also important that as you read through the rest of the Old Testament, I think the Old Testament as a whole is very emphatic on this. It is very clear on this. It undergirds all of the um, all of the Old Testament historical books, all of the, the the prophets. It's in there to say that homosexuality is an aberration or a um, a sinful distortion of God's design. Right, like that is undergirding all of the Old Testament. Um, so it, that principle is there as we read through, even as we consider, as Josh just mentioned, that this is the principle under um, underneath that verse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we want to jump to the New Testament? Yeah, let's, let's okay. go to the New Testament. It has been said before that Jesus doesn't speak on the issue of homosexuality. Yeah. True or false? I, I'm going to say unequivocally that that is false and then I'm going to let Josh explain it. (laughs) Well, I think Lance already answered it at the beginning of the episode, you know, Matthew 19. Insofar as Genesis 2 talks about sexuality and um, God's ordinance for it, um, so does Jesus Mm -hmm. in Matthew 19. He's Mm -hmm. quoting it. You know, one of the interesting things I think that comes out of that uh, passage uh, is is Jesus talking about divorce Mm -hmm. primarily, right? Yeah. 
They said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And so so the marriage consummation um, is an act of God, really, at, at base, joining those two. Um, you know, marriage is, is something that God very much cares about. And so, you know, there in the political sphere um, that comes up, you know, should Christians just um, simply let, um, um, you know, the government decide what marriage is and is not? Um, well, God cares very much about mm-hmm. about marriage, um, and, and it's His design. And it's His doing fundamentally. Um, well, I mean, it's one of the first things that He institutes. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it is Genesis and it, one and two. And it's I a mean, gift. This is pre. By the way, this is pre fall. It's pre Israel. This is for humanity, and ultimately, this was a preview that we don't see at first because of progressive revelation, but this is a a picture of the gospel, right? Like that's the purpose of marriage. And so Mm -hmm. to distort marriage, um, is to just blow up the gospel. I mean, that's the whole purpose. We, a husband is to love his wife the same way Christ loves the church. And and the wife is to submit and respect, submit to and respect her husband in the same way that the church, um, submits and respects, um, to Christ. And so, this relationship is meant to um, reflect that, and that is the 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 mm-hmm. entire purpose of marriage mm-hmm. on this earth. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to providing the means by which families may recreate and mm-hmm. um, the human race might sustain, but yeah. the the purpose is to point to the gospel. Yeah, and so like you said, God cares very much about marriage. We mm-hmm. we we need to care very much about marriage. And that marriage must be protected as between man and woman because that's that's what holds um, the complementary um, relationships between man and woman that point us to the gospel itself. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, so Christ obviously addresses yeah. uh, this issue, and we see that um, clearly from Matthew chapter 19. Uh, now let's look at some apostolic authority. What do the other New Testament documents uh, speak of? on this particular issue. I think we're probably all thinking of the two classic yeah, passages. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's two. Which one yeah. do you want to go to? Well, I don't know. Roman, Josh, Roman, Josh, how much time we got? Yeah, <laughs> Let's, yeah, we've got plenty of time. We've got about 20 minutes left. Okay. So we've got Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians. Romans 1. And, then, and then camp at yeah. 1 Corinthians 6. Definitely need Let's, to get to 1 Corinthians. Yeah, I agree. Let's do that. So, yeah. so Romans 1, why is this a classic text? Um, how does this relate to the issue? Yeah, well... Um, I would summarize this by calling it the progression of truth suppression. And uh, you start off in Romans 1, 18. This is Paul giving his gospel, right? This is, this is Paul explaining the gospel that he preaches to the church at Rome. And what does he start, start off with? The wrath of God. Mm. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Paul is starting at a very broad base here. He's not talking about one class of people who do this. Men suppress the truth. Right. That That, that is what the unbelieving mind and heart does. That's right. Um, and so there are there are these stages, if you will, that, uh, that Paul typifies, right, in, in the progression of truth suppression um, in mankind. And you see that come out in... Um, an individual's life, in family life, in society. Um, and so, you know, really what Paul does here is um, three times he uses mm. um, this phrase, exchanged. Yep. Men right. have exchanged something. And then three times following each of those exchanges, God gives them over. Mm. And, and, and what's important to see here is that God is giving men over to what they want. Right. 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 This is not unfair of God. God and in fact, um, if you look at uh, let me see, um, verse twenty-eight. Um, this is at the end of this um, progression. Paul says um, that that men did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind, and Paul is actually um, drawing a correspondence there. He says. Uh, uh, 
they did not see fit. Um, that is, they did not approve. Um, and, and so God gives them over to an unapproved mind. And it's, it's the same um, family of Greek words there. Mm. Um, as that, as that the giving over of God corresponds to uh, the sin of men so that they would refuse even to maintain any semblance of God's ordinances in sexuality mm. um, in their society, in their minds, so that so that biblical marriage must be cast out. Right. Biblical sexuality must be cast out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's what happens in verses 26 and 27. That's what, yeah, that's yeah, what right? I mean. It's yeah. right, it's direct. What, what do those verses say? Just, yeah, well, verse 26, it talks about women exchanging the natural desire, right? It talks about women going against what has been given to them in, yeah. in nature, right? Yeah. In verse 26. Which, which would be the design... From Genesis one, Genesis one right, and two, one absolutely, and two, right. yeah, absolutely. And then it goes on in verse twenty-seven. Likewise, the men leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust after mm. other men, right? Mm. Um, so you see this distortion, uh, this progression, like Josh had been saying, yeah. of what's taking place when the, the truth is now exchanged for a lie, right. and people go after their own desires, right. which is, I think, what we have later on in James chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's the, yeah. Uh, that's exactly what you see. You see a suppression of God's design. That's what the truth is. Yeah. It's a suppression of Genesis 1 to 2, um, and instead a pursuit of something else. It's something other than the, and that's all sin is, right? It's mm-hmm. a sin is the exchange of what God designs versus what I want, and that want is not aligned with God's want, and that's what sin is. And whether that's homosexuality or any other kind of distortion of sexuality, that is blatantly called sin, um, aberration, um, rebellion. Here in Romans chapter one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and, right. Well, and just to add on. Uh, to that, as we move on from Romans 1 into 1 Corinthians 6, is homosexuality the only sin that's mentioned here in Romans chapter 1? Right, of course not. Yeah, well, right. it's not. Again, right. so it's not a picking apart of right. sins. We're talking about groups, right? Uh, grouping of them. And that, really. that's a, we just need to be reminded of that. This is not, we're not just camping out on this particular sin. We are paying attention to this sin because our culture has celebrated it. That's how Romans uh, 1. I've already turned to First Corinthians six, but yeah. um, <laughs> no, I know what you're talking but, about. But right, uh, verse thirty-two: um, though they know God's righteous decree, and those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval yeah. to those who practice them. Is that not That's a good um, point. exactly what we are experiencing even now? That yeah. there's a celebration um, that we see. We are we live in a culture that is approving and celebrating and pushing forward um, into a, a deeper rebellion of what God has said. Right. So for those reasons, we need to be able to address and, and pay attention to these. But right. uh, yeah. yeah, let's let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. I know that there's more to be said here. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking this, and we'll ask a few questions to kind of wrap up yeah. um, our thoughts. So 1 Corinthians 6, the other important um, or, or most notable New Testament passage that speaks to this issue uh, where where would you where would you take us to walk through some of this? Well, let's look at six verse nine, and it says this: um, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived: neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's where Paul starts off with. He's, he's again, he's casting this broad net here, mm-hmm. encapsulating everything. You cannot enter heaven being one of these things, and that is a condemnation for every person who has ever walked the face of the earth. Mm. Yeah, this list is not exhaustive, right? right in the sense right. that he, what he's trying to do is cast this wide net to say, if you are characterized in one of these or something like it, mm-hmm. this is. It, it means you are characterized by your sin yep. and that mm. no one can right. enter the kingdom of God should that be where their final standing is before the throne. That's right. So a couple of, of terms there that are important um, that I think that uh, you <laughs> yeah. can speak to. Um, you know, if I was reading the ESV, in fact, mm-hmm. um, 
where, where I just read from the New American Standard, uh, yeah. it says, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Right. Does the ESV translate that differently? Yes. I've got the ESV in front of me. They combine those two words, uh, so there's not a distinction uh, made. Rather, they say, nor um, men who practice homosexuality. Mm-hmm. They combine those mm-hmm. two. Um, the reason for yeah, that... I've got, what, what, yeah, what well, do you have? New, oh, I you've got New King New James, King right? James over here. And it says, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Interesting. That's how it yeah. Translates that. So the reason for the discussion or the discrepancy or the, the conversation of this, and I know you've studied this as well, Josh, so mm-hmm. feel free to, to mm-hmm. speak to this. Um, I'm not sure if you have anything to add, Lance, but you're more than happy to. So um, I'm going to go uh, grab some water. Right. Dog, I guess. But but those those two Greek terms there, uh, the the ESV yeah. in particular combines them because some have argued, and um, again, it's it's nuances to these words, but some suggest that the first term, which is mentioned as the effeminate, the malakoi, that is a the passive mm-hmm. um, recipient or partner in a mm-hmm. homosexual act. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could refer to male prostitution, but it's the, the emphasis is not on the act of prostitution, but rather on the rebellion against right. divine okay. appropriated right. sexuality. Right. Um, whereas the second term, which Remind me how the NASB translates that. That that one actually says homosexuals. It does. Yes. yes. The the ESV combines that. The New King James calls them sodomites. sodomites. Yeah. Um, it's a more active. Uh, it's the more active of the two partners, so to speak. It's a it's it refers to a man who engages in sexual activity um, with a person of his own sex. So it's a direct. Yeah. Um, it's a direct translation of homosexual, right? Right, like same-sex activity. Yeah, right. and they're—I mean, the New King James translators here—they uh, understand this text to be talking about exactly what we're talking about, right? Homo- right. Homosexuality, because they're referencing back to what we looked at in Genesis mm-hmm. chapter eighteen and nineteen mm-hmm. by yeah. using that that terminology. Yes, the sodomite right. reference. Right. Yeah. Sodomites. Yeah. Right. That's good. What 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 else do we need to to glean from that or understand from that passage? Yeah. Well, we talked about the fact that that word there, arsenakoitai, mm-hmm. um, is what is being translated homosexuals, and that's a compound of male and to lie, right? Right. Um, and, and what what's significant there is that that is exactly the word used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation mm-hmm. of the Old Testament, for Leviticus eighteen and twenty. Mm, okay. um, and so Paul is using uh, scriptural language there, even though he's in a different of course, language. Sure. But uh, the Septuagint was familiar. Everyone understood precisely. that it was that's the Bible what, that the Jews read. Right. Yeah. It would be yeah. like us using the English language today. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. right. So whether you are the passive or the active partner in that act, um, that's what Paul is capturing there. He's capturing right. all of it. So people have tried to argue that mm-hmm. point with me before that it is only um, you know talking about um, prostitution and that um, warm, loving, mm-hmm. committed, um, you know, uh, monogamous, even heterosexual um, relationships. Uh, excuse me, homosexual relationships are nowhere condemned in the Bible. Mm. Um, but that's not what you conclude when you do the exegesis. That's right. When you right. when you look at those terms, the focus, the emphasis, the language is not dealing with prostitution. It's not dealing with a right. what it, what it's dealing with is those lust those lustful desires that distort as um, the King James translates and reminds you of the sodomites as Paul is giving you that language from Leviticus eighteen. This is a distortion and a um, rejection of the biblical mandate of one man, one woman. That's right. Paul's emphasis right. here. That's right. It's not yeah. on an act of prostitution. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's really important. Yeah. Um, is there? Would you, would you want to add on that? Is there redemption? I was just looking to you so no, you well, can answer this. Well, th- there is redemption for any of us. For any any of us, right? I, I think uh, that that that's what Paul is. He's driving towards, yeah, he's yeah. making his way towards that point. I mean, it's really kind of the same format, you could say, to some degree of Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, indicting mm-hmm. mankind of their sinfulness, bringing mm-hmm. them to the good news of Christ. It's the same thing happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Yeah, if it stopped at verse 10, that would be bad news, Yeah, right? But it, yeah, he's well, leading to something else. Well, this else. is the glorious gospel that you, know, mm-hmm. that That's you, right. you, you presented earlier, Josh. Uh, there is... 
good news found in, in, in Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what this text goes on to say. I think we've got that coming up here. Yeah, ver- at, verse, at verse 11, at the right? End, but yeah, it picks up mainly in verses uh, 11 and following. Yeah, but I mean, Paul says, I just, I just want to read it because I, I just need to hear these words. <laughs> such such were some of you. Right. He's saying like, that's how you would have been um, characterized or identified, right? Like your sin would have characterized you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yeah. That truth, that gospel has gripped and transformed these people in Corinth to say that's not who you are in right. in Christ. Right. And because that's not who you are, we can now say that's not compatible in the Christian ideal in being in Christ. That's no longer compatible with homosexuality because that's right. a distortion. Right. Right. Um, yeah. The the verbs that he used here uses here and the and the uh, passive tense. You were washed. Mm. You were sanctified, and you were justified. It's a very thorough. Yeah. Um, change that has been done. Now that doesn't mean a person doesn't struggle, doesn't sure. wrestle any right. longer. But in Christ, whatever a person's sin had been, um, they are washed from it mm. um, and uh, sanctified. That means set apart. So we were talking about holy Back sexuality. That's yeah. precisely my point. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's that I would be set apart, holy unto God again regardless of what had been my past. Yeah. In Christ, repentance and faith positions me from now on as set apart yeah. to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but justified. So that the penalty for my sins has been paid in Christ's body. So we get the command, glorify God in your body. Mm-hmm. That's Lance, That's the greatness of the gospel, well, man. That's ta- so good. Talk, I want to ask a question, but before I do, I, I want somebody to highlight this, so I'm going to ask you to do it. Okay. Highlight the passive voice. Like, why does that matter to say you were washed, like that we didn't wash ourselves, right? Like to say that that, why is that passive so, such a, a beautiful picture of the gospel? Yeah, the, the idea is I cannot come out of this on my own. Mm. I cannot cleanse myself from my sin, no matter the sin. Right. In the case that we're talking about, mm-hmm. homosexuality, whatever the sin may be, which we all have sin, I cannot deal with this problem on my own. Right. In fact, my mouth needs to be shut mm. to the point of knowing that there's nothing that I can do. Mm-hmm. Every mouth may be stopped, right, back in the, the book of Romans. And then I'm the publican in Luke 18 beating my chest right God be Mm. merciful to me a sinner Mm. right Uh, again it's the glories of Christ it's he has come down to uh, mediate us bring us to God right and that's and that gospel is that external act Mm. right that makes that reality um, true for us to say that now I can say I have been washed I have been justified I have been sanctified um because I've been set apart because God has done that work. Yeah. God has done that work in me. Um, you mentioned, um, Josh, you were talking about the washing, this thorough active, um, or this thorough, this thorough yeah. act from God. Mm-hmm. But you said it doesn't mean that you don't struggle. Um, yeah. So follow-up question, what, what do I do? I'm listening. I either struggle with homosexuality. Um, I love and care about people who struggle with homosexuality. By the way, this has become so pervasive. For the longest time, this was kind of a a theoretical question for me, but it has become very real as I've encountered so many people who are struggling or Mm -hmm. know people who are struggling. Mm -hmm. What would you say? How how do we start to push this towards a more applicable conversation. Yeah. Um, where, where would we go? Yeah, so a um, common term that is used to describe um, homosexual temptation is same-sex attraction. Um, same-sex attraction. And, and that what we mean by that is not sexual orientation in the way that the culture defines it. Yeah, right? sexual orient- distinguish yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so psychologists in the medical field and so forth would uh, categorize people as either heterosexual or homosexual or bisexual as though they are hardwired this way. Mm. This is how this person's sexuality works and the next guy works different and so forth. Um, but we reject that. Right. Um, and, we, and we've talked about that already. Uh, rather, what same-sex attraction means is, it, is a continued desire 
for some kind of sexual expression um, with people of the same sex, which the Bible forbids. Mm-hmm. So what a person struggling with same-sex attraction must do is dissect every desire that I have, right, for every relationship, because I can have profitable, godly relationships with people of the same sex, right? But if you are struggling with where that line is, what I need to do is parse every desire that I have and submit it to the counsel of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in uh, Matthew. I think I have it in here. Uh, chapter 5, verse 27. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Let's go. Let's go. That's good. <laughs> You've heard that uh, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So that is not just the doing of the sin that is the problem, but it is the desiring of the mm-hmm. sin. And while we would say that not all temptation is sin, because, of course, Jesus was tempted, right? He had no sinful nature as we do. Right. Uh, but Jesus was tempted, and those mm-hmm. temptations came to him externally. He was right. without sin. That word externally, mm-hmm. that's the key, right? That mm-hmm. those came outside. That that's was right from his internal that's right. uh, wickedness. That's right. But as far as we are concerned, what, in, in our experience, many of our temptations do come internally so that we have the counsel of James— mm. Um, saying this in James 1 14 but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust so we're talking about internal um, tem- you know internally arising temptations there and so what the responsibility of someone who is actually in Christ someone who's repented and bowed their knee to Christ put their faith in him as their substitute to justify them mm. before God what the responsibility of that person to do is regardless of what their temptation is, to parse every desire, Mm. to break it down. What is going on in my heart here in order to desire what God has forbidden? Mm. Um, Now let me volley this back to you guys. Um, Does God make anyone homosexual? Mm. No, he doesn't. We would reject that. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, Let me me answer and then I I want your thoughts on this. Number one, God is a good God. God is not um, God is not responsible. James tells us right in James. Um, did you just read this? I'm sorry. In verse fourteen, no, or was it thirteen? Yeah. Thirteen. Thirteen. Is yeah, one. yeah. James one thirteen. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Um, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. So God is not a tempter. Um, that is not something that God does. And so to suggest that God makes, uh, designs us intentionally in a way that inclines us towards um, this rebellious act or this mm-hmm. sinful act mm-hmm. is contrary to God's nature. Now, we do live in a fallen, broken, uh, distorted world with a fallen, broken, distorted nature that is sinful. But God does not make us to be that way. Right. Um, that 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 cannot fly. That, that that contradicts who God is. Yeah, because His holiness, right. his, his wisdom, His creative power wouldn't orchestrate itself or wouldn't reveal itself in that manner. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it would be a major contradiction between the character and nature of God and His yeah. Word and humanity. Right. Yeah. Trying right. to hash out those things. So yeah. the concept of a gay gene potentially being found someday false yes yeah absolutely right. I, I would, would say reject yes. that yes but i would also say i don't even know where and, and i say this with with the most um cautious and sincere intentions i don't know where the gay community is on that issue for a mm-hmm. while it was we're born this way and then it was a choice and i, I mean they've gone back and forth because of the gender fluidity and mm-hmm. um that that movement is is very much on the move but Regardless of what our inclinations are or what our um, if maybe if I would say if science comes out and says, yes, there is some kind of gay gene, um, we would reject that. Mm -hmm. But regardless, it doesn't matter um, the predisposition that we might have towards sin because all of us have those things. Right. Like I'm predisposed towards sin that is different from that. I don't have the homosexuality bend. Uh, but I have others that are just as strong. It's just a different sin. Yeah. And the 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 message and the response is always the same. Repent 
um, turn from that sin, place your faith in Christ, continue to repent, kill sin, be killing sin, or it'll be killing you. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm running away from that sinful desire because the desire in and of itself does not uh, validate any, uh, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no validation from the desire as if to say, well, because it's inside of me, it's right. a good thing. God fact, must have made me this way. Right. Sure. In fact, Something it's the like opposite. That, that desire yeah. should tell me something that my desires are, the, the heart is wicked above all things, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so, yeah. um, so I think that we have to have those things in balance to say that, that our pursuit is always going to be to turn from those desires, um, as you mentioned, parse those things out and then pursue Christ. Yeah. So full circle, God's word is the authority on this issue. Right. Right. That's not my experience or how I feel. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because those uh, temptations, those attractions feel very real. Yeah. Um, very strong. But at bottom of this whole thing, right, is is who owns my body? God Has God spoken about it? And his, mm-hmm. is his word authoritative for what I do uh, with my desires from the heart outward? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, any, anything else to add as we kind of wrap up? No, I I want us to kind of have a quick uh, initiative takeaway. But before we jump into that, yeah, can you talk about some resources? Yeah. just in your study, your preparation. Um, yeah, would would you come across it was useful? Um, one of my favorite authors is Kevin DeYoung. He's yeah, um, uh, brilliant yeah. and so accessible for anybody who's not a theologian. Um, and has written a short book, um, like many of his books, is mercifully short, <laughs> yeah. um, called um, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? Okay. And what that does is it goes through basically all the passages that we've gone through today um, and exegetes them uh, and more mm-hmm. um, and uh, talks about simply what the Bible says. Um, what does it mean? Uh, and we can't get away from that. Another helpful book uh, that I've mentioned was Christopher Yon's book, um, Holy Sexuality, um, in which, again, he's getting at the issue of identity, right? What God calls me to is not simply um, the heterosexuality of our world, because that also has been robbed and um, corrupted by sin. But what God calls me to is a holy sexuality. Mm. And so he makes that point very well in that book. That's really good. Another good um, resource in how to attack things like uh, same-sex attraction would be uh, biblical counseling uh, materials. Um, for for example, biblicalcounseling.com would be uh, a resource put out by the um, um, Association of Certified Biblical Cou- yeah, um, I don't Counselors. Know. Yeah, I think it's ACBC. Solid, though, yeah. ACBC. Yeah. 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 Um, and they, uh, they also have a book um, okay. called uh, Counseling the Hard Cases, which I've used. Yeah, that's awesome. good. Yeah, that's. I, I think that there's a lot of voices right in the in in the public square and in our culture that are trying to speak on this issue. And so sometimes it's helpful to say, hey, which which sources can we lean into to try to get a biblical mm-hmm, perspective right. on mm-hmm. this? And yeah, so that's, good. that's helpful for us to think um, to think through. So let's do an initiative. Wrap this thing up. Um, what do you got? What's your takeaway? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Takeaway. Uh, for me for for this episode is that there's just redemption in Jesus Christ. Yeah. There's redemption in Jesus Christ. It it is difficult to talk about sinful behavior and Mm -hmm. sins and sinful acts and um, what the Bible calls sin. But those issues have to be addressed because that's what brings you to the part of the gospel where there's redemption for those sins found in the Jesus Christ of the yeah. Bible. Jesus he didn't he didn't come to die for the righteous. Right. Right? Yeah. He he That's went good. after that one sheep. Mm-hmm. That one coin, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Luke 15, um he went after the lost son. Jesus came to die for those that understand and have a proper assessment of themselves being sinful before God. Yeah. There's redemption in Christ. That's, that first Corinthians six passage is just so great. Yeah. 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 Um, anyways, that's no, that's really good. I, gosh, I, I don't really want to add anything to that. I'm just going to echo that and say, um, kind of in the same vein that I'm just reminded that sin is sin and sin is, um, it's nasty. It's wicked. Um, wrath is awaiting sin. But not a distinction is to be made between sin. Yeah. Sin is rebellion against yeah. God, right. and I should hate my sin more than I hate the sins of the world. 
And so when I'm thinking about this issue of homosexuality, yeah, it's important. Um, yeah, marriage matters. Yes, um, these things are, are biblically warranted to have this conversation. But I'm just reminded of my own sin mm-hmm. and the hatred that I have for it to 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 turn, repent from those things, and to pursue Christ, to pursue that redemption um, and that glorious gospel that we've articulated to think about the the work that has been accomplished and that I'm no longer defined by that. And so yeah. that sin is is ugly. It's 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 messy. It's nasty. But praise be to God that it doesn't define me. Yeah. And that I can I can rest in that glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good. So what do you got, Josh? Um, I'm going to say this, that I am thankful that I don't have to spend my whole life looking for who I am. Yeah. Uh, because God has told me. Mm. That's good. Um, and uh, that pertains to um, the core of who I am um, and precisely how God has made me. Um, you know, uh, my essence um, and my body and, mm-hmm. and, and, and how mm. I can glorify um, with my body, the one who gave himself for me. Gosh. Yeah, that's good. That's really good work. And Josh, thanks yeah. for coming out. Really appreciate my you pleasure. having this conversation, a tough conversation, uh, but a necessary one. Oh, we thanks, appreciate guys. your insight yeah, on this. Thank you, sir. If you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. Thank you.